You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, my guest, Charles Carrillo. Charles, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on today, Jim. Absolutely. Charles, I always like to talk about real estate, especially right now when all these people are out there saying, oh, interest rates are too high. You're in Southwest Florida. Insurance rates are too high. You know, it's got all these unknowns. I love when people just give up. But before we dive into that, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me your background, how you got to where you're at today. Yeah. So a short background on myself, I guess. I was born into a real estate investing family. My dad's been a multifamily investor since 1984. And so I grew up in the business when I was younger to, uh, he self-managed and him and his partner at one point had like a hundred units at one point before they started selling them off in like the late nineties, early two thousands. And they were really mostly D-class properties. So they were very management intensive. He never had third party management. And so that was a, a whole second education dealing with him and dealing with all the, everything that he went through and watching it. And after I got out of college in 06, I bought my first property, which is what we call now a house hack, but it was back then it was a, or what it still is, is I bought a three family property and lived in one of them, rented out the other two. And I covered the majority of my mortgage and that was pretty great. And then I did it again at the end of 08, which was a whole different climate. And then I went to make the foray into commercial real estate at the end of 09 with a small five unit property. And I've uh, been doing that all since. And since getting down to Florida in 2012, because that was all on a small town in Connecticut, we've really been focusing on buying larger apartment buildings and been involved with syndications since 2018. That's awesome. You know what I really love about your background is, is that your family taught you how to do it a little bit, right? They said, hey, it's okay. It makes me think of actually an ex-sister-in-law and brother-in-law of mine. But when we were... You know, I grew up really poor. I thought I had to go to college, get a job, get in Wall Street. That's how I was going to break out of poverty. And here was uh, these this guy um, that he said, "No, no, no. We, my family, we own uh, motels, real estate. We own, you know, we own this other stuff. I don't want to go to college. I don't even like school." And I was like, "No, man, that guy's. What's he thinking? You know?" And then I wasted 15 years of my life trying to do it the mainstream in the herd way while he was just being free and buying other businesses and just doing what he wanted to do and not worrying about school, educating himself, but not worrying about school. So talk about how you made that progression of education because, you know, I hated school, but I loved to learn. And I don't think those two things go hand in hand. Sorry, public school teachers. But for me, it didn't. Talk about like, how you progress because there's a lot of people in the audience charles they're thinking okay you started small i get that but then how do you progress with your education your confidence all of that yeah so when i was in college i think i mean i wouldn't have bought that property so soon after college if it wasn't for my dad really kind of nudging me in that direction and we came it was you know my parents are i guess they, they have more education than my brother and i my brother and i went to four-year college and my parents have like master's degrees but it was different is that it wasn't a huge 
theme in our house to like go into really upper. It was really, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for so many years since being back in high school. I never had a W-2, a real W-2 outside of college or during college. And, you know, we just grew up with my dad always had a business or businesses and he always had different investments and stuff. And so it was something that I kind of learned about. And that was what my, what I was doing and what I was, what I really want to focus on. And then put money into real estate was always like the end game for everything. You know what I mean? And I think when we started with small properties, it's just, there's not that much that can go wrong. There's stuff that can go wrong, but it's not like you're dealing with uh, a lot of, you're dealing with other people's money or anything like that. It's all your money. You make mistakes. It's, it's, you know what I mean? It's much easier to bear than if you're taking money from other people. So after so many years, people would ask me about investing in real estate with them, friends, business partners from other stuff I was doing. And, and then it was, you really like, well, how the heck do I do this where I'm bringing on other people? And that was where we like got involved with syndications and people now could invest alongside us in what we're doing. And those properties, because you looked at all the pros and the cons of larger properties and all these hassles I was dealing with on a smaller level, they weren't. So, you know, when I was speaking to a mentor, they were just telling me the only way you're going to be able to like break through to larger properties and to be able to scale is when you're getting into one of the easiest ways of doing it would be getting into larger properties. And now when you look at the number of units and how easy it is to manage it, I mean, I spend less time on management on large properties, 100 plus units, because you have on-site management there. So like overseeing asset management versus when I had, you know, a dozen or so units myself that were even though they're on the same block and I had the same management company for them. It's a lot more intensive, no matter how good your manager is, and you still have to make those decisions on a high level. So that's what it was kind of a necessity of kind of moving forward to larger properties and bigger buildings. No, I love that. You know, one thing that, and you said a lot right there, but the thing that kind of unpacked to me is I want to talk about like your underwriting process and kind of what you learned along the way. Everybody has a little bit different due diligence, but it's always interesting to see because I think when you're looking and there's a lot of people in the audience that say, Hey, I'm running my business, doing in investing in what I know, but I need opportunities to partner with companies, partner with people that know what they're doing. Dan Sullivan wrote a great book called Who Not How. So it's who you collaborate with, not learning how to do it. Now, by the way, you could collaborate with somebody passively and then figure out that you want to do it more actively as you build. But that transition, I think, is sometimes what scares people. So talk about what you've learned in that process and kind of what's your guy's niche? Like, what's your niche, Charles? Like, and how do you underwrite it to know that, hey, we got a really good chance of this being a great property and a great investment for our, not only our investors, but also ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say when our niche, what do I say is our buy box for real estate is really we're buying properties built 1985 or after. It's 1978 or after, but really we're going mid 80s all the way really to like say 2005. There's not really a date of how new we can go on it. We're looking to buy in B-class areas and properties that when you're buying in the 80s and newer, you're avoiding a lot of issues. And because people are always like, why is it like, you know, why is this cut off like right around there? And the cutoff is really is like in the late 70s because when you get into the 80s, you don't have to deal with really asbestos. You don't have to deal with really lead. You don't have lead paint. You don't have to deal with all these different aluminum wiring or all these different things that really shapeshift type construction that was done years before and you kind of push by that. So it means that you don't have to do major renovations on the property. Really, the bones don't have to be really changed when you're getting into these properties in this newer age realm. 
And then in areas, I mean, a lot of the due diligence is done just by, you can do a lot of due diligence on a property by just seeing the market, number one, as like the MSA Metro, and then it's really getting down to the, the neighborhood without even seeing the property. And you have an idea of exactly what the class of that property is. You know, you can drive around and see properties and how many cars are there during the day and how quiet it is at night and all these different things you can pull. There's many different websites for free. You can find out exactly what the income levels are. So you know exactly where those lines are in a new market. So exactly where, hey, over here is where they make this much. And then it changes on this street. This is where they make this much. And then you can kind of see these and sometimes they're invisible and sometimes they're not, but usually you have to be there physically because you might not see a train track or you might not see that double road that goes across that really changes the neighborhoods. And But your tenants are going to see that. So it's important that a lot of the due diligence is done at that level. And when we're buying properties at B-class property, we found that to be a very resilient and especially where we are now, which is kind of an unknown area. Interest rates going up. People tell me there's going to be a recession. People tell me it's already done. We're in a new mobile market, whatever it is. So really... It's if you're buying properties like that, you're able to set up a lending, a, um, a debt structure on them that's going to allow you to go out five or seven years with them. That really insulates you from a lot of issues, and especially if we're in a growing market, which is where we are down in the Southeast. We have a number of markets that we focus on. But with those things checked off, that really eliminates a lot of potential issues. Yeah. You know, again, I like a lot of what you just said because, you know, I have a, a friend who is in Wisconsin. And he has all of his properties within 75 miles of Appleton, Wisconsin. And he has a niche and he has a system and that's his market, right? And I think he figures that he's got enough in that market that's he doesn't need anything else. And it's, it's cool. When I look at being here in Southwest Florida and I look from here, say, up to where my scope goes, like say to Louisville, there's so many markets that I think are amazing between here and there. And not only for real estate, but for businesses, for everything else. But when you're investing in real estate, you're in the real estate business. You know, we have to think of it like a business. And so when you are a passive investor, you're investing in a business, you're investing in a company. And what do you see that like when people are holding back, they're not taking action and building that real estate portfolio. What's the number one thing you see, Charles, that holds people back? I think when there's any type of uncertainty, and we, we've seen this, and I mean, a lot of companies that do similar to us with working with past investors see this as well. And I mean, raising money in 2021 was much different than it is today. And at, you know, especially at the end of 2022. And you have people that just when anything kind of out of the norm happens, they just sidelines, you know, money in a money market account. And I understand in certain situations, but in other situations, I, I mean, I made that mistake too in the beginning of like the 2010s where everything was up dramatically from what happened in 09. And you're like, wow, this is, you know, what, what's going on here? And at that point, I wish I was already buying as well. And I came back and started buying again, but it's something as I'm not making that mistake this time. I'm always, I would consider myself a buyer and reviewing properties and you know there's not that many deals out there so it makes it much easier now and you can work at other parts of your business and working on projects and uh, properties you already have and kind of like we're spending more time getting those to where they want even faster but i think you just see with a lot of investors that whenever there's like a little bit of pickup same thing with like 2020 you know what i mean people just like pull back and i understand that's an unknown you don't know what's going on but we just sold a property that we bought in the summer of 2020 and it was a fantastic return one of the best ones we've done and it was just because you didn't have to get rid of all the buyers. There were still buyers out there, but there were sellers out there and there weren't as many buyers. So 
if you see that and you're like, okay, people aren't moving from Tampa. This is where the property was. People are, you know, and then we had no idea it was going to be so dramatic what happened, but it was one of those things that I think if you're always looking at property and this is like the mistake I see with a lot of investors, cause you're like, Hey, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, blood in the streets, that's when you buy kind of thing. People don't do that. You know what I mean? That's why it's one of those things you read in a book. I think the majority of people are waiting for it to go, you know, they're waiting to see, you know, already go up, then they want to ride on it and they sell at the wrong time. And that's how the majority of people do it. So if you buy real estate, you're keeping it for longer term. You don't have to time the market. It's really just you're buying good properties that are already cash flowing and you can come in there and you're able to do work to the property. You have this business plan, you know, you're going to be there for five or seven years. If you get the price better earlier on, fantastic, you can sell. But it's something that I think people always have to be looking at. If they're interested in real estate, they always have to be reviewing properties and seeing where the market is. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that too. You know, that greed, fear strike, uh, the greed, fear cycle is in real estate just as just the same as it is in Wall Street. Yeah. And I remember when I did full service financial planning, I, I remember this person came to me and they said, Jim, I want Janice 20. You know, I'm like, well, it's up like 35%. Like, okay, you don't want it now. And oh yeah, yeah. And then I've got this other, and all of the Janice funds were in the same investments. And so it was like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. I had them sign a hold harmless, everything else. Yeah. And what happened? They got in, what happened? It went down, they sold, and then they still fired me because even though I told them not to do it, right? And so it's funny because don't get out. If you're going to get in with, with those kinds of, in Wall Street, you can get hurt because, you know, you don't know where that company is going. In real estate, it's different. But the thing that I think that people need to understand better, Charles, is that all of the advantages of real estate and whether it's, to me, one of the biggest things is if I had a dollar in 2020, it's worth less than 70 cents today because of inflation, right? And we can talk about where we're going with inflation and deflation and all that stuff. But ultimately, the dollars in my pocket today are worth more than they are going to be in the future. So that means I, why would I want to save money? Because it's going to be worth less when I want it or need it, right? So why would I put money in like a 401k or something like that? Assets, when there's inflation, what do they do? What happens to their value? It goes up, yeah. right? So also your tenants, rents go up, right? All of that happens. So do you ever have people that are hesitant to take money out of Wall Street or in instruments and put it in assets? And maybe they don't even understand depreciation or anything else. And I don't know how that all works in your guys' system, but maybe just talk about that for a minute. Yes, we've had investors that, you know, most investors that we work with, they have some level of real estate already, whether it's maybe another passive investment, or usually it's like I have a duplex or something like this, or another single family house rental, or that they, they did and then they realized, well, you know, I, I can't scale this all the time. I'm running another business or I'm, you know, busy professional. And I, I think I've never really told people, hey, you know, I've never pushed people it's uh, to move money or anything like this. You make your own decisions. But the thing is, when we're getting into real estate and how it's kind of changed over the last couple of years, especially with people now being very over leveraged on the properties, the thing that a lot of people used to sell, which was, hey, this is the cash flow or anything like this. And you see some deals that are paused fully or they're halved or whatever they are in distributions because we don't know where we're going. That is one of the things that most people used to try to sell their investors on. And 
My thing is that when we're talking with investors, it's really, okay, you know, preserve capital, it's no capital calls. And it's also like, you know, the main, th the thing after that's most important is really your equity multiple, like really what you're going to come out to at the end of it. And you can compare it. It's, it's difficult because if I compare something to like the S&P, well, that's maybe not the best, I guess, it, you know, that, but maybe like to the REITs, you know what I mean? To like an average REITs, maybe better because you're investing in real estate. But I think one of the things that I have found over the years is that when you're talking to people, it's really, hey, you know, you're diversifying outside of what you're doing. And mm -hmm. this gives you a whole nother thing that, yes, as you said before, they are correlated at some point. Stock market goes down. It's kind of thing like this. You're going to have people, and whether it's truly like that, and real estate is a lagging indicator. So we have the stock market goes down and real estate might not go down for six, nine months down the road or might not go down at all, whatever. But the thing though is that when you see this and you're talking to people, it gives you, it's really the main thing is diversifying and then also looking at the total business plan. Don't look at like a 7% because you know, your index fund is 1.5 giving you off and this one's going to give you seven or 8%. The main thing is like, the main thing is the diversification of your portfolio. And then the second thing is really look overall what the whole business plan is and what the equity multiple is because you're buying a business and your people don't see that exactly when they're buying a stock. Like, oh, I'm buying a stock. Well, no, you're actually buying part of a business, but it's already running and it's already profitable. When we're buying real estate, it's already profitable. But what we're doing is in this value add situation is we're kind of disabling that a little bit, right? We're doing work to it and then bringing it back so it's even more profitable down the road. But that means that in the first 12, 24 months, that's where it's the most risky. You know what I mean? And you just have to be able to stay through that and know that there's going to be distributions, there's going to be pauses. And then but the main thing is that if we're telling you at the end, this is what we're thinking of. You know, you put a hundred thousand where it's going to be, you know, 150, 165, whatever it is on the end, then that's really what I think the mindset has to be for investors when they're going in and thinking about real estate. Yeah, no, I really like that because, you know, think about something is back in the day, um, if you were getting into business, you would say it would take three to five years to become profitable, right? I mean, that's not unheard of. People today kind of want that accelerated, yeah. right? That, that three to five years, they don't accept that as much. But traditionally, it takes three to five years for your business to become, and people don't want that part of it. What they want is when they see the business 10 years down the road, 20 years yeah. down the road, and they say, hey, how did you ever start that business? Well, you know, look, in the beginning, it wasn't easy. So people sometimes have a hard time paying the price in the beginning for the reward in the end. But we have to think long range. And if we think long range, we can take a lot of the risk out of life and out of um, building wealth and financial independence and financial freedom. So I like that you said that because, yeah, this isn't get rich quick. No. And it's look, if you can't if you can't stay in it for a few years and go and know most things you buy, you're upside down in the first couple of years, yeah. right? I mean, come on. That's not, you know, you're not going to buy um, some stock and get lucky. I mean, you can get lucky, but when, you can't consistently get lucky. That's why Vegas is there, right? <laughs> I mean, those buildings, they pay for themselves because nobody's consistently lucky or very few people are anyway. So talk about what you see coming because you mentioned something that I think is important is when let's say like Tennessee or Florida, I don't know how many people I talk to that they're coming from California, they're coming from New York, they're coming from these areas where quite honestly, the price of things don't matter that much. Because in Florida, like in my neighborhood, there are people that have made offers on houses without ever seeing them, cash offers from New York. And it's like, 
you know, hey, X number of millions of dollars is no big deal. And I want in, like I want in there no matter what. And so because of that mentality and people getting out of some of these high tax, high regulation states, and again, this isn't a political statement, it's just that's what's happening is people are migrating out of those states, is I believe that the market is good and it's going to go up. And I'm with you. In 2009, I bought six units in 2009 and 10. And then when they doubled, I got out. Well, I can't even tell you how much they'd be worth today. And I think I shot the goose that was laying the golden eggs. You know, I mean, it, it, I should have just let it ride. And there was no Airbnb and think, or at least I didn't know anything about it back then. I mean, right now, those properties would just be stupid good on Airbnb. So talk about like what you see coming in real estate and how you guys are using the forecasting or the forecast of the future in the next three to five years to your advantage. Yeah, that's a great thing. I, I, I kind of understand your sentiment exactly, Jim, on that, but it's kind of dangerous thinking. There's this quote by JFK's dad, uh, senior, uh, Joseph Pini, who's like, only a sucker sell at the top. And when you do investing, you think of that and you're like, oh, okay. So if I just have this business plan and I know that when I hit this return is when I sell it, that's when I know. And then you can reassess it at that point too, if you have a clear mind afterwards. But it's very difficult when you're in there and you're trying to let stuff run. But I think what we're doing now is what we've been doing for years, but it's we're getting less deal flow. A lot of our operating partners that we work with, that we review deals with, has is you know looking at deals, but it's much more put up. We put out letters in town properties. Usually they're not coming back within reason. Especially, I don't. It still hasn't. We've seen prices go down a little bit. Cap rates expand a little bit, but you still have those interest rates that are very high from you know, historically over the last five years, you know what I mean? So in the, with that being said, we just have to be a little bit more conservative with stuff that's coming through. And, you know, these are valuable properties, so we're willing to take a chance on them. And if they're in good areas, that kind of makes up for reducing some of that downside risk. But the thing that was that we've seen is that still reviewing deals, um, we're still buyers. We still have investors that are interested in investing with us on properties that we bring to them. But at this point, you know, we... Over the last uh, 15 months, we've purchased one property and we've seen one property. And it was probably, we purchased it, it was in Dallas and I purchased it for 10% to 15% less than what it would sold for, you know, a year and a half before. And even if it goes down lower, it's one thing. You might think like that and it could happen, but it's also, hey, I got a discount on it from before. And then when we go, when we sell it, when we're renovating it, when we're increasing rents, when we're making this property better than it was before, it's all going to work out. You're going to see even a bigger return on the back end. So it's really like, if there's any kind of, if you see the deal and it might not be the bottom, you can't really think of where the bottom is. It's really just like, is this a deal? Is this a growing area? Where am I going to be in five or seven years? And I think we make decisions on that end. And, you know, over the last few years, we've been keeping properties only around three years, but that we, you know, we've always prepped our investors for the five to seven years. And I think we might hit that with certain properties. And I think you're going to see a lot of operators out there that are, you know, that are found themselves with high leverage on their deals that they're going to have to kick that can down the road and hold those properties longer too, if, even if their investors don't like it. Right. No, I'm with you. All right, Charles. Well, obviously, you know, your family gave you a lot of great advice and it sounds like you've had some mentors along the way that have given you some great advice. What would you say the greatest advice anybody's ever given you is? Uh, for real estate investing, I would say buying better areas. It's you, They always appreciate better. They're easier to manage. People want to buy those in all parts of the market cycle. Crappy properties, people really only want to buy in good markets, good times, and good properties. There's always buyers available for those properties. A great, great advice. Okay, next question. Last question. 
if you could only retain the knowledge that you've received from one book that you've read in your life, what would it be? I would say the 80-20 principle, uh, one of the best one of the best books. It's an easy read and it, you can use it in really all facets of your life, whether it's from your workout to if you're a salesperson to whatever you're doing in your life, it realize. And when you think about it after you close that book and you think about it and you find out that, wow, I'm getting, you know, 20% of what I'm doing is really bringing in 80%. Now, how do I focus in on this 20%? And if people do that, they'll just become a lot more time efficient and they really know what's really driving the goals that you're achieving. I learned that as Pareto's law. And I, and the guy that taught it to me said, Hey, Jim, I'm going to tell you something. It's not 80, 20, it's really 90, 10. Yeah. And you know, look, I'm, and I love like when Nelson would say, Hey, 3% of the people would control if you, Nelson would say, Nelson Nash, who started infinite banking, he would say, if some authoritative power distributed all the money in the world equally among all the people in the world, within 10 years time, 3% would control 97% of the money, right? And I think it's probably 1% would control 99% of the money. And the question then becomes why? And that 1% or 3%, they understand how to get money to flow to them instead of away from them, yeah. right? And so when you say the 80-20 principle, I agree, is the people that can spend their time and focus and do that 20% really, really well, they probably can make it 10% of their effort or 10% of their time or whatever it is to get 80 or 90%. So I think that's a great book. I hadn't thought about that book for a while, Charles. So thank you for reminding me of that book. Charles, how do people get a hold of you? How do they reach out? Tell me all your handles and all the different platforms. We'll put them all in the show notes, but tell people the easiest way. Yeah. So our company is harborsidepartners.com. So if you go to harborsidepartners.com, we have a book on passive investing there. If you're interested in uh, joining our mailing list or uh, becoming an investor, you can fill out and uh, sign up for all that. I have a podcast that you'd be interested in. It's two episodes weekly with a YouTube channel and I'm most active on LinkedIn. And you can just search my name, Charles Grillo. The links are going to be in here too. So follow me. I put out a lot of interesting graphs and all types of tidbits on research, the stuff that I'm reading every week. And I also put that into our weekly newsletter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being here. And we're going to end this show the way we always do, audience, with the incredible words of Earl Nightingale. So take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>